Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Simon Brown, who is the founder of Digital 51. Digital 51 are a startup consultancy specializing within product design and development. Simon has worked within the industry since 2004. Within that time, he's worked for multiple brands from Reed, Morgan Hunt, Cooper Lomaz, and Digital Gurus. He has always managed to progress his recruitment career within these brands. And in his last three positions, before he started Digital 51, he was in a director position and sat on the board. However, in March 2021, Simon thought it was time to go on his own recruitment entrepreneurial journey. So he launched Digital 51 with his co-founders with one clear mission, which I think is really unique and, and great about this when I spoke to Simon. So that clear mission is for the business to be employee owned and for Simon to give away the business in its 11th year to all of the people that have helped it become a success. So that's by 2032. There's no small print. There's no catches. You can see it on their website. Simon is committed to, to making this happen. So right now they're in their first year of business. They currently have six people in the company. Simon was just telling me that they're very close to hitting their first year target. They're eight months in. So I've had a good start and have big plans for 2022. So Simon, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Love it. Awesome. Now I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So there's loads that we can go into. Um, there's a few things that we're going to focus on, but where I always like to start is a million pound question. And that is, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant of today? What does that look like for you? It's so funny that how it, for me, it's, it's changed yeah. over the time. Obviously, listening to the pod, I had a feeling, obviously, you'd kick off here. And do you know, right now, if I could have anything, I'd have curious people. Mm. I'd have a curious mind in because I think that historically, I'd have hit you with, you know, drive, determination, resilience. But I think that it's, I think it's gone past that for me in terms of, I think you really need to have that curiosity of what's happening within business, what's happening within people, what's happening within the wider economy digitally for us. And, and therefore, like top thing right now is curious. The other reason is most people aren't looking for that. So therefore, if you look for that, you find people who stand out. So it's people who are curious in that way. I think that you have to have a passion and you have to have a passion for what what you're doing and why you're doing it. And your reason can be your reason can be completely different. And it should be that you know if you're starting out, your reason should be different to me at this point in my career. And and I shouldn't I shouldn't be trying to put mine on you. But I think you've got to have a passion for what what that reason is. So on a cold Wednesday night away at Stoke, you can get up for it <laughs> and you can really get it done, which in recruitment is the day after maybe a deal that's not gone your way or the Monday after a week ball when things just haven't panned out. And it's that that passion is, in my opinion, most important to keep you going. Yeah. So for, for me, curiosity, passion, we teach you the rest. Yeah, I love that. So obviously being in recruitment for some time, so there, there's obviously loads that we could unpack here, right? But as we were just saying, where, where I really want to focus on is why Simon has always managed to progress, because most people listening to this will have aspirations to achieve promotions, achieve top bill status, wherever it may be, maybe even start their own company. So we're going to talk a bit about that, but also really keen to dig into the MBO journey that you experienced, just because I'm speaking to a lot of young aspirational leaders in companies right now, and that really seems to be the most common carrot that they're, they're getting is like, Simon, you're 
you're an associate director, you're a director, and we want to sell the company or we want it to achieve this. So yeah, we'll then really talk about last eight months or so, Digital 51, you obviously finally took your own, took the leap to start your own business. And we'll talk a bit about what that's been like in the climate that we're, we're all operating in or have been in the last 18 months. So that's what we're going to work through. When I say to you, like, why was Simon Brown able to get the promotions, get the director position, get at the board seat. I know obviously it was from Reed you then managed to, to sort of achieve that. Yeah. Why, why was you able to get those? Because as, as we know, right, recruitment is competitive externally, but it's also bloody competitive internally. What comes to mind when I say, why do you think you was able to get those promotion opportunities, maybe over the people sitting next to you that were trying to go for those as well? Do you know what? First of all, it's a bit of an out-of-body experience to hear someone else talk about your journey and then and sort of reflect it positively because <laughs> I don't think we do enough of that. And I think at the time you're on the journey, you don't you're not always thinking about it. You're just you're just doing and you're in goal mode and you're just moving forwards and it is it is competitive, it is busy, and you know, therefore you don't think about it till afterwards. But for me, I made a conscious decision to go to to go to Morgan Hunt. I I, I did just under five years at Reed and it was it was brilliant it was the best place for me to start I start I started in the Liverpool branch on a desk part qualified accountancy with a sort of team of six or seven who were just experienced around me and they sort of beasted me and got me moving and plus the training was phenomenal and being really honest and it was just they set you up in the right way however it took me on a bit of a journey around all things business development I, I wasn't on a desk for that long you know I was, it was only 12 months and then I actually applied for an internal promotion because one of the reasons I chose Reed was they had this national account portfolio and I wanted to test that and say right well you know does that exist and and I did apply for it and I was I was lucky and I got I got my first national account manager's job after well within my first 15 16 months that gave me a real flavor for pure BD not not job-based BD but contract-based BD in terms of winning bigger contracts pitches tenders presentations national agreements and that took me on a journey and that journey took me to a point where as much as I loved working at Reed and I loved what I'd built there, I wanted to be in a more entrepreneurial environment because it because it, it was a it was a machine. It was a machine that worked and it worked at a very high end, but I wanted to work slightly differently at times. Obviously that's not how the that's not how certain machines work. So sure. I think the reason I was able to get just first of all on the path was that I made the conscious decision. I, I, I chose to leave something that was good. And to be honest, I've always done that. I've always left wanting more. I've, I've always left each position thinking. Where's that, where's that come from? Well, I think you've got to back yourself first of all in terms of I quit Reed, I quit Morgan Hunt. Makes me sound, this makes me sound like a quitter. Both of them happened around four. Sound, a bit, sound a bit job hopping, mate. Yeah, I'm a hopper. Yeah, every it, look on my CV. <laughs> between four and a half years and five years I'm itchy I'm out but but it's a cycle for me it's a cycle I've always said this you know recruitment it is monotonous it is the same thing over and over again and therefore you need to be stimulated and, and you need to be in that environment so I quit what, what I was saying is I quit those things and Cooper Lomas to be honest all three of them with nothing to go to but really? I, 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 yeah I backed myself when I was at Reed I, I was a very good national business development manager winning sort of multi-million pound contracts across managed service and, and I had a sort of decent name and brand and I thought I'll, I'll get something I also I, I still lived in Liverpool but I covered nationally and I, and I was like ready to move to London and, and sort of see if the page the streets were really paved with gold so I went to an environment at Morgan Hunt which for the first six months I personally found really difficult you know that business was entrepreneurial to its core it had the most boisterous the most brilliant sales floor in London it had 
two brilliant regional offices in Manchester and Birmingham and it was high performing individuals and for the first six months I didn't really enjoy it because it was so it was so sort of entrepreneurial there wasn't a structure and I, that's what I was used to I was just sort of used to a structure and I remember sitting down with the director who I'd sort of followed there and my pitch to them had been let me come let me come they had a like a brilliant business development function but it was really a bid function and I wanted to make it more client services more proactive selling and after six months I just wasn't sure I sat down with the director and I said to her you know just don't think this is for me I don't think I'm enjoying it here I don't think it needs someone like me and, and she said to me we need someone like you but not just for what you can bring from a BD perspective, but we need someone who's going to like shake the tree and, and unsettle things because it was going well, but it was contingent recruitment going well. They had a couple of bigger contracts, but really it was a contingent machine and it really was a machine. So I just thought, look, I'd moved house, I'd left Liverpool, I'd gone to London, I'd put everything on the line really. So I wasn't going to just quit again. Yeah, you after, You know, I, I, yeah, so I thought... Pardon me, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to give it a go and let's see what happens. So I just went on like a three-month mission that I set myself. And at the end of three months, I won an, they had this brilliant quarterly award ceremony where like high achievement was really acknowledged. And I won the award as the best newcomer at the end of it. And that was it, really. I was in. Oh, I love that. I was in. And I was really hooked in terms of turning point. people were responding. It was still difficult, you know, getting them to take me on meetings, getting them to log stuff on the system so that I could see it, seeing some of the rates that were being charged and thinking, oh my God, you know, it's easy for me to sell a contract against this and wipe every other supplier out because we're charging so much that you know we can undercut ourselves but that that's a bold decision so it was difficult but i was also starting to get buy-in that buy-in went on for two or so years then there was a change at the top md left and that was a really critical time for me one md left new md came in and the mindset i'd always had was the risk i'd had by going down a bd only route not running a sales team not being on a desk not having a bill in line i was always told i'd never be able to get to a board seat because you've got to have a revenue line you've got to have a team a new md came in she was from within the business so it was like a step up so she knew the machine she knew me and she said to me i can get you to board without taking a sales team because i believe in you and and to be honest it was that it was that belief in that environment and even that was you know we had some hurdles to come across things didn't maybe work the way i thought they should have i've got a bit of a temperament i threw my toys out the pram on numerous occasions <laughs> and she was she was the right foil so i think the reason i like talk about that story so long is it all started there to be honest I, you know reed was where i learned recruitment and i knew that i could sell i've been selling for a long time i've been selling since i was like 14 so i knew i could sell reed taught me that recruitment and the sell and the and the consulting that goes with it morgan hunt unleashed like the belief that i actually wanted to make that my career i wanted to climb the ladder and i wanted to do it within that sort of environment so it seems like yeah, it was a bit of a struggle at the start then you yeah. got then you obviously built some trust credibility like won that yeah. award and then obviously wouldn't have been plain sailing but you you had more buying as you said then yeah. obviously cooper lomas you went in at a senior level then digital gurus you went in a senior level so, so my question yeah. is i think sometimes a lot of people listen to this who are like senior can be quite worried about going into a recruitment environment at sort of a leadership position or in a senior position so what's your advice for people who may want, like you said, want feel like they need to be stimulated, need a new challenge, but don't want to end up in an environment where they may end up being a leader who people don't like or they don't get, I don't know, what's your advice to them? People don't go into a new question, company yeah. and just are like a, a dickhead of a leader to put it another way, basically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A new guy comes in trying to implement his own way of doing things. Because you've done that a few times now. What's the approach? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, first of all, there's definitely going to be some people listening to this thinking, well, he is a dickhead leader, so I don't know what he's about to say <laughs> yeah. at this point. Maybe, you know, that's for everyone else to decide. For me, there's nothing worse than a stale director. There's nothing worse than a stale leader yeah. in this industry because you have to drive your teams so hard every day. And if you're lethargic with it, you know, after all of that struggle that we just, I just talked about at, at Morgan Hunt, I got in the boardroom and fundamentally... I was gone within a year because I was disillusioned by what the boardroom represented. And I guess, you know, you could argue you need to have a grit to see that through and, and, and turn it and shape it. But for me, you have to have that belief. But I never wanted to be stale. I've always, I was always that director that went to the pub on a Friday and I was sort of like chatting to the teams, listening to what people were saying. And for me, I heard how others referred to other directors and other leaders and other senior management within that business. You know, that business had been phenomenally successful and near enough doubled in size so obviously a lot more seniority a lot more people and what have you so I never wanted to get stale so ultimately you know I, I went for the opportunity to shoot for an MDC I was on the board it was board of six it was a brilliant board at Morgan Hunt but I went to Cooper Lomas because the opportunity was it was clearly there for an MD's job very yeah. very you know I was 36 at that point maybe, no maybe 35 35 36 it was arguably too early but the opportunity was there and I'd always been ambitious so even there I never wanted to be stale. I always want to be fresh. And my advice is, if anyone sat there, you know yourself if you're going through the motions. It's hard enough going through the motions on a desk in this job, but you but you can. I think as a director, if you're going through the motions, your team will know that. And I never, ever, I, I guess maybe I cared too much what people thought as well. I never wanted them to call me out as, you know, Simon's lost his passion, Simon's lost his drive. So I guess, what, what would your advice be for Simon that goes, you know what, I, I do need a new challenge. I'm going to go to a new company. What would yeah. your advice be for me to make sure that where you go into a new company and you've got to approach it in a quite tactful way, right? You don't want to go in there and go, right, everyone, I need you to do it, a whole new way of doing things. But what would your advice be for a leader transitioning to a new recruitment business, maybe things to avoid? Or what would you say to them? Be like, maybe don't do this or do this first or really yeah. like double down on doing this. What would your approach be or advice be? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry, the recruitment operating system for your front, middle and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincherry was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a Vincherry customer. And look, Who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering Vincherry as your operating system partner than their customers themselves? Here's what James had to say. We implemented Vincherry right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we used was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of Vincherry as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to Vincherry over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly having used Bullhorn and another product I can say that Vincherry is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to scale. Yeah, it's a whole operating system, not just a CRM, is it? Is this the whole point? Yeah, it's, and yeah. It, it's brilliant. And they're brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're, they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. 
Well, I, I think I think do go in and shake the apple tree. You know, when I first went to Cuba Lomas, I went as the commercial director. There was an ops director, and it was clear that we were going to need an MD at some point, and that was very much how it was sold to me. The MDs, the, the owners were removed from the business, so effectively yeah. we were sort of 52 heads, 35 of them or so were sales. They all sat with me, you know, go for it. My uh, my old MD had then said to me, "Don't do anything for 100 days. Just like sit and watch and, and oh, like, okay. let it happen. Let you know, and, and you know that's, that's really good advice. Sit there for 100 days, do three." management meetings do three board meetings see how it's essentially a quarter yeah i lasted get the lay of the land see where at and then yeah, yeah. I lasted yeah. three days. I, I didn't make it three months. I didn't make a hundred. I probably lasted a hundred hours. There was a management meeting that I was due to shadow with on about day four or so. And it just wasn't me. And I think that someone once told me when they'd hired me, well, I guess if things were perfect, we wouldn't be hiring. And I've always had a problem with this. I've never liked it, this thing. They said, if, you, if things were good, we probably wouldn't have hired you because we don't need someone to, you know, you're going to come in and shake it up and change it. And I think that's part of it. I think we should move when we're at our best. So my advice to, whether it be someone who's looking to hire us, is thinking about a senior person or whether it be about a senior person looking to move, move at your best because that's when you're mm. full of confidence. That's when you're full of juice. That's when you're full of let's go. So I went into Cooper Lomas and thought that, you know, I could take on the world. Now, arguably, maybe that bravado and that belief system played against me. But that company had been through a challenging period and it needed someone to grab it by the scruff of the neck. You've got to take the people with you. There's no doubt about it. But it depends on your personality. If you have the patience to sit and watch for three months, I reckon you'd probably have the longevity to get past me. However, I just was super competitive, super determined and super just keen to get stuck in. I didn't have the patience for hanging around for 100 days because there was sort of things to achieve. So my advice, I guess, is go when you're good and also be you, be whatever it is that you are. If you're patient, patient, be patient. If you're eager, be eager. Yeah, yeah, sure. Before we get on to Digital 51 then, let's talk about, as you sort of framed up quite nicely, drawing Cooper Lomaz, and as you said, like there was a real genuine opportunity there to become the MD. And I'm assuming part of the drive for you was, wow, this is is actually a business that I could end up part owning or having shares in, et cetera, right? Is, Is that fair? To be fair to the owners, that's why they took me there. Okay, yeah. So they told you that from the very beginning. Yeah, they came. They came for me twice, and the first time when I was at very maybe a couple of years at, at, at Morgan Hunt, that leadership change was happening at that point. I was happy and things were going well, and I wanted to stay. But I'd been impressed by the what they'd done with the, with the regional business, and also they were clear they wanted someone to lead an MBO, and the existing leadership team wasn't really set up that way. So when they came back again, they came, I was in a different point in my career, and they were at the point where, right, come in, if you're good enough, you'll be the MD, and then the plan is within you know five years, we'll sell the business to you and, and the leadership team, and you'll take it on. So to be fair, they set it up in that way. Oh, that, that's, that was actually the intention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was very much, again, people thought I was nuts. I left London to move to East Anglia to run a regional business which was you know, 50% engineering manufacturing. It wasn't where my background was. But the opportunity was, I mean, one, it was a fantastic business in my opinion, and two, the opportunity to buy it and be MD. You was know, was, yeah, it was genuine, like they told you about it from day one. So what did they say to you then? It was like, Simon, if you sort of basically do these sort of things well, what you'll be able to do is buy us out and then you and the rest of the leadership team will be able to carry on with it. Like, what, what did the actual potential opportunity actually look like to spell it out? Yeah, it didn't really pan out in that way. So essentially we did... Two years, and yeah. in the by the end of the first year, I'd pitched to be MD, and I'd been awarded that opportunity, and we were reshaping the business based on that. And then 
at the end of the second year, it was clear financial performance was good. However, the underlying value set of the business had changed. You know, it had been privately owned for so long. However, it had been through, you know, a series of MDs and a few shakeups along the way and some bumps and for a whole host of reasons, all the things that yeah. you see in recruitment and businesses that, you know, it's a 30-year-old business at the end of the day. So my belief was, right, we hadn't really spoke about it from that from when I first went in. It was come in, get settled, get it really growing because it had started to stagnate. Two of the previous leadership team had set up rival businesses and they were actually being really successful and there was a lot of poaching and stuff going on. So settle all that down and then let's get on a journey. And it was probably about halfway through, about two and a half years. And this this is really what happened. So we used to have a board meeting and and, and I and I managed the board meeting. So I managed the agenda and all that went with it. And I'd had a feeling for a while that we couldn't get on the journey to an MBO without fundamentally changing the underlying shape of the business, ripping it right down to its value set, rebranding it, redefining the values, and that they had to be mine. They couldn't be a collective. They couldn't be me and the owners going on a journey. They had to really, if I was going to drive it to that point, then I had to drive it that way. How many owners were there? Just two owners, as I say established a fantastic business and to be fair gave me complete autonomy stepped away and what have you and and let me run their business and then we had board meetings so probably one of my proudest moments but also one of my most challenging i set a board i set a board meeting and didn't tell them that i was going to turn up at the board meeting and proposition to buy the business so to buy it okay yeah so normally the senior management team everyone they would all come so i told no one else to come on that day the two owners and we had a non-exec director so we sit down and obviously everyone's like it's slightly different the agenda i was i was sort of bluffing a bit over an agenda and the yeah, board yeah, pack yeah. and everything it's slightly different anyway we sit down everyone has their coffee and i'm like right we're not here for a board meeting i think we've got to drive to an mbo now i think we have to start the and this was 12 months earlier than we'd ever planned to do it so i then kicked off the ball rolling so i said i think we should start now these are my reasons i presented that on the day i was like this is why i think we should start now these are the risks i think if we don't do it but i just don't think we can wait any longer the money was fine it was it was the problems were coming a people level and a value level and for me those things have become more and more and more important so i was like i want to get on this journey i want to make it you know my belief system my values in conjunction with my team and that will drive us to be the success to get the numbers that we need to trigger what have you however financially we were in a different position you know we the business had fundamentally shifted from where it was when i first started and therefore some of the numbers that had been spoke about over time that wasn't where we were so i then offered a new price which was declined and all this is in one meeting you know one meeting to be fair everyone's been caught off guard how did how did you come up with the price well well, obviously it's basing it on an ebitda and you're basing it on a multiplier okay. it was predominantly a perm business also i didn't want to over leverage the business i wanted to make sure it was a number that i believed i could raise yeah yeah how did you get that information though did you reach out to your network how did you because this would have been new to you well no you know the md i was running the pnl anyway so i knew okay, so, right. so yeah and, and i when i was at morgan hunt and i became a director there you know i had a very very board very strong board governance so i knew and that that business was so you had that context yeah, that, that business experience. about a journey so i had that context also just plugged into the wider recruitment community in terms of listening to yeah. when deals happens and things like that so essentially and then also like anything in life recruitment's no different everything's got a price but also it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it so i fundamentally i offered the price that was linked to a multiplier off the ebay but i also offered a price that was linked to what i thought it was worth 
and, and mm-hmm. that's what we put down. That was actually declined on the day. The whole thing was declined. Yeah. It was a pretty, it was like... How'd they take it? Was they like, what the fuck's going on? Well, yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah. One pissed off, one surprised, one yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of shocked, but also it made sense. But to be honest, this was on, I think it was a Thursday or Friday. It was going into the weekend. I'd planned it specifically that way. Yeah. And then we had a call on the Sunday and they were like, yeah, we agree. Let's do it. We, we agreed at the price. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We agreed at the price. Yeah. But what they did okay. say is... It can't affect the run of the business. And ultimately, you've set the price. So, you know, you have our permission to engage whoever you need to around, you know, raising the money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was good because that allows you to share the books, which is what you need to do. But essentially, yeah. it's your party time and you've caused this. Go and see what you can do. Yeah, let, let's just let's just talk about this for a second and then we'll, we'll move on. So, so got to that. Kudos to you, mate. Just putting that out there and like being, as you said, like back yourself creating opportunities so i guess what i just want to just find out you don't have to give me the numbers or anything but could you just spell out for people just to make this really simple for people a high level what does that deal look like so putting figures away so let's just say cost x amount and then what would that mean would it mean that they would then all sign a contract that said over three years if this happens simon would then own the majority of share or like what what was like just high level the straight buyout yeah so is it you know you, you you're talking seven figure plus deal so, you know, we're not talking pocket chains. depends how big your pockets are, I guess. But I think yeah. because I'd offered a different price than we'd originally spoke about, because I had fundamentally offered less than they thought it was value that. And, and also, I guess I had done it in a slightly more hostile way. It yeah, was... Yeah. But the deal was, you're going to buy them completely out. The conversations I've had, sometimes it's like a, over a period of time or whatever, it's different deal. It was a mistake that. It was It was a mistake. In To be honest, in hindsight, the easiest bit was having the balls, the ambition and the drive to get that meeting and get to that position. However, the harder bit then was to move it and get it over the line. And what I what I actually should have done in hindsight was I should have presented a partial deal. I should have presented X amount, seventy five percent buyout now, because fundamentally that's how that's why why it fell through. It fell through because of my ability to raise the full hundred percent of the money as needed, and then also run the business at the same time and juggle those things. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for sharing that. Let's just talk about the finance journey because I think this is sometimes from the conversations that I've had, sometimes people can be, I don't don't know what people's assumptions are if they're going, yeah, my boss had talked to me about an MBO. I don't know what their assumptions are around finance, but I think sometimes people can underestimate like how difficult it may be to raise funds to make that happen. Just for really simple terms here, like let's just say you listen to this and there's a carrot in front of you right now that you could go on an MBO journey. There is a good chance that for that to happen, you will have to to raise money because you're they're going to need x funds and it could be like you said a partial deal or like you went down like the complete full whack so in order to do that you needed to get x to the table where did you even begin to look for these funds then did you like did you go to did you go to bank straight away did you already tell like what what was the the finance plan i had three revenue plans for my journey to, to make this happen so the first thing first is if you're in a temp business or an interim business or a contract business yeah if you don't factor your debt and if you don't invoice discounts and things essentially if you manage all of your own cash flow then the business has got a very uh, the business has more than likely got a good financial cash position so going into this this decision i'd worked with the finance team to really tighten up our debtor situation so that our debtor book was in a position where it was x amount and, and we were comfortable with that because that that affects future lending but also at the same time, I tried to drive the temp revenue as hard as possible because the higher the temp revenue is, I was then going to lend against that. So 50, 50%, 50% of my buyout was was lending against the existing temp Against book. the existing, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Which, which to be honest is, 
is a tried and tested route if you don't want to put a large chunk of your own money in or raise more from the bank or whatever. So but my, my, I feel like not not many people will actually be able to do that. Most people I speak to are, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s that are in director positions. And I don't know, they might might have done all right money-wise and saved, but really if you're in directors with two, three other people, well, how many of you are going to have 50, 100 grand plus to put into the deal potentially? Don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I think that like, if you just take, for example, for, for ease of maths, if your contract book is worth 1.1 million a year for our and say and you've got like i mean obviously there'll be lots of specifics to your own business so you need to take all of this with a pinch of salt but if you've got fundamentally a good business and you're on top of your debtors and you've got long-term running temps contractors interims again whatever you want to call them and you're and you've been with your own bank for a period of time the likelihood is they'll lend you 90 percent of that so they'll wow. lend you a million quid against the against the existing temp so you don't, that doesn't cost you anything to do that that, that will cost you interest and obviously a, arrangement deals and so on and so forth but it's not that bit that fundamentally costs. So you have, for me, as I say, three revenue streams. The first one was the easiest one, was to lend against the, the lend the, against temp. That makes sense. The, the temp book. So if you've got an interim book, then that is what drives the price of the business, which is why you pay more in the first place. But it also is your biggest asset if you don't have like lots and lots of money floating around that you can lend against it straight away. So again, if it's against a straight perm business, you've not got that. You haven't got the temp revenue to lean against, but also your multiplier will be less because, you know, I was running a, a contract business where our average contract tenure was over six months. So long-standing yeah, yeah, yeah. revenue that, that, that your bank can see. And to do that, you can either go to your existing bank for that or you can go to you know a whole host of people and they'll lend against you. So I had that conversation. And then it sounds really simplistic and stupid. I went to my actual, our bank. So every business has a bank, obviously, who they're with. So with the agreement again of the owners i said i need to have a conversation with our bank i obviously had a relationship with them anyways you know as the md although the f you know the fd was had ran everything but i went to see them and, and essentially said this deal is now on the table i want you to lend me the other half essentially that's that's what i that's what i went in with and then at the same time as doing that i reached out to a broker so like the most terrifying meeting i ever went to is i went to a meeting in paternoster square real high-end brokerage organization that specifically looked at mergers and acquisitions for recruitment businesses they brought along their lawyers they brought i mean i turned up on my own with a notepad and a pen um, <laughs> and like some scribbles of what i was doing and i had like my printouts of my excel sheets and all this i had like my board pack and and these like guys would literally sat around a table but but to be fair they were brilliant they, i got loads of advice from that and that, that was my third revenue choice so my my First, so what would they do? They would gather all the information and then look to get lenders, buyers. Yeah, so they, you. they would, you know, they would give you a whole host of options. Now, I ultimately decided not to go down that route because, as brilliant as they were, and to be honest, I had two sessions with that group of individuals, which taught me more. And my my regret was I should have done that before I even got to the point where I pitched them got pitched for point, the deal. Yeah. So those listening, maybe go look at that route if one hundred percent. You know, you've got to be you. careful in terms of the benefit of doing it the way I did meant that I had the blessing of the people who's fundamentally it was. Even as the MD, you might think it's your business. It's not. It's whoever's name is officially, you know, on that door. And they gave me the blessing to share that information. So, you know, okay. you, shouldn't, you shouldn't share that information if you've not got the blessing to do so. But I did have, which was the benefit. However, those two meetings made me realize I didn't want to do it in that way because I wanted to know. And this, again, in hindsight, was a mistake that I wanted to know exactly where the money was coming from. And I wasn't really interested in angel investors and VC and private equity and all those bits and pieces. Why was you protective of that? What was you worried about? Do you know what? Probably a bit of inexperience, first and foremost. You're a bit worried about taking other people's money, maybe. Yeah. And I guess part of 
like my personal driver was control and ownership of the situation and, and what I thought is if if I ended up with another owner in there who you know equity or whatever and they own 30% to get the deal over the line is that is that really any better than where I am and again what, what I should have done at that point it should have re-scoped my conversation around a stage buyout so so because I decided not to go down that route I essentially got 75% or, yeah, 75% of the money agreed in place from the temp book and the bank and what have you. However, the bank wouldn't give me the full amount that I asked for. So at that point, you then go to your own personal resources and you're like, right, am I putting my house on the line? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? And I'd made the decision going in that I was willing. I, I think if you're going for a if you're going for a, a multi-million pound deal, if you're going for a deal that's over a million quid or so, you, you have to acknowledge that you're going to need to you're going to need to have some money to yeah, pay for this stuff resources. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. you're gonna have to have resources in my opinion you're gonna need to have 50 grand there ready to go now you don't because you can leverage it against the business a bit like when you do a mortgage you know you yeah. can you can just top all the fees on top of but what i thought was it's just making the situation worse that on day one when it's all mine if it's completely riddled with debt then you're That's under pressure scary well you're under pressure from day one and the reason i wanted to go down the route that i was was i guess there was a slight dis disagreement around how much profit needed to be made by a business and therefore that was sort of niggling me all the time that the push for finance is what in my opinion makes recruitment turn so many people away because it becomes too money driven and that turns people off so i didn't want to riddle myself however fundamentally that cost me the deal at the end because then I you know holding my hands up I had took my eye off the ball with the business and the and values piece the rebrand yeah, 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 yeah. so the values piece the rebrand and all of that was going phenomenally well the team were probably the happiest they'd been in sort of three and a half years it was going really well but our, our figures had just started to tank a little bit and I think there was a bit of the, you know a bit I think of that's what sometimes people, people forget though I had a guy on here recently Matt who shared his journey and that, that was one of his bits of advice is like one, don't like be serious about who you potentially doing this with as a leadership team. Like there's, there's a difference between you being leadership, like both being leader in the leadership position and both you being business partners. But two, like also, yeah, don't underestimate that also you're going to have to go on this journey with them where you're going to have to put over 100 hours on top of your actual job outside of work. Do you know what I mean? So I think because you're still employed, you still you still got a number, you still got to drive that performance. So I guess to, to tie this together then, thank you so much for being That's super right. honest on all that. So I guess just final thing and then we'll go into Digital 51. What... For people listening then, and I know there's nuances here, but for people listening, if we're sat down in the pub and I'm yeah. going, look, Simon, really, really interesting story that you went on, didn't quite work out. Right now, me and my leadership team, there's a couple of us and an MBO is on the table. Like that our, our owners have said, like they want to carry on, the they, they want to take a step back. They see us as a future leaders. That's that's a serious offer on the table. Like what, what advice would you give those people to go, right, maybe think about finding this out from them. This is maybe what I'll do differently. What would you say to those people that generally have an MBO carrot in front of them, knowing what you know now? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. And all I wanted to tell you about today is one of their recent really useful and valuable articles. So a lot of you right now are probably thinking, how can I tap into more talent pools? How can I get more relevant candidates showing up in my searches, whether that's on your CRM, LinkedIn, wherever it may be? Well, this is Sourcebreaker's world. So what they've recently done is published an article called The Power of Search, Five Ways You Can Improve Your Candidate Pool. 
So in this really short article, you will walk away with five practical ways that you can uncover and find talent that you're looking for that maybe might not show up if you're just using the the current ways of searching and what you're doing. I mean, what they've found from all of the surveys and data that they can look at is like 48% of searches typically contain errors. So if you want practical ways that you can uncover talent that you may be missing, click the link in the show notes, read the power of search, uh, get those tips, walk away with them, start using them, and let us know how you get on with those five tips and if you find some more people. Enjoy. I think first things first is you need to make sure that you need to make sure it's genuine. That, that yeah. do because because sometimes it is a carrot. Do they do they really want to sell? And and again, I regret where we ended up that I wasn't able to get that deal over the line. However, I think when push came to shove at the end, if both parties had wanted it, it was clear that there wasn't there was an alternative deal available where we could have just phased at the the final part over a certain period. And therefore, I always was a slightly disgruntled thinking, well, maybe they didn't really, really want that deal. Now, that turns out not to be true because they've just completed an MBO two years later. So they clearly did. So the first thing first is make sure, make sure all parties. Genuine. Yeah, it really is genuine. And, 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 you know, test that in terms of asking for things that they need to look at to start the process. Yeah, the first thing is you've got to have open book. Great advice. You've got to be open book. That's what Matt said. That's what the guy said recently. If you don't have the full cooperation it's a non-starter yeah and i think it also tells you if if there's not that full cooperation open book around the finances what's going on finances yeah what certainly around possibly the money that they're taking or possibly you know what you need to talk to bank i was really lucky i had that complete transparency so i think getting that open book get some advice you know whilst those two meetings that i had with real professionals taught me a lot Probably one of the reasons I didn't go down that route was not just the VC, but it was also the extra fees that were involved in using these people. And and in hindsight, I I didn't have the experience to do the deal. You know, I didn't have it. And therefore, ultimately, that cost me. So although it might not have needed to be with them, there were so many other people out there who I probably could have reached out to who could have got me that support. So if you've never done it before, it is... I don't care what anyone tells you. It is every situation is unique and it's very, very stressful. It, can, it sounds exciting, but it, it, it you know, it, it gets yeah, very imagine. detailed very, very quickly. You have to be really good with the numbers, which I was lucky I was. However, you know, you've got to live and breathe that all the time. And to be honest, a slightly more wise ahead around someone who'd been through it before would have got me over the line because my passion, drive, determination, and risk level was there. But it was just. It was just being cute enough to understand the deal. And I wasn't yeah, cute yeah. enough to understand yeah. the deal. Now, great advice. So let, let's talk about Digital 51 then. Yes. So I think this ties into the to like what you're about now, right? So talk to me just a bit about why why are you so passionate about giving this business away in 11 years? And two, what does that actually mean and look like for people listening to understand a bit about that instead of it? Yeah, I don't want people thinking it's like a nice brand strap line and what you're about. But talk to us about why it's important to you and two, how that actually works, how that's going to work. Yeah, well, I think sort of after, you know, I went to Digital Gurus after where I was, and that was a that was a private equity owned business. And these two things have shaped my mindset around how you should, how and why you should run a recruitment business. You know, fundamentally, I couldn't get a deal over the line at Cooper Lomas. I've got to accept responsibility for that. However, I did have niggles that I thought the deal could have been made easier. And then secondly, going to to DG, which is a phenomenal business, but part of a bigger group, I guess I got to see what a, what it looks like when you run a business off a spreadsheet, and that wasn't really my bag either. So. I decided if I was going to do it myself, then how would I be different than those two offerings? 
and I also wanted the hard stuff. I want I, I would want to step out in 10 years' time. I, I want to step out in 10 years' time. You know, I, I need that hard stop for me that I can do something else and enjoy other things and, you know, what have you. So I need that hard stop for me. Why, as we go on that journey, we, we're at six people now, we'll be at seven in a couple of weeks. Whatever that growth looks like, why should those people come here and run through walls for me if there's nothing in it for them? And I just think over time, everyone's beliefs and drivers change and mine has not become about the bottom line money as much anymore. I just think that the last 18 months has had that impact on me around... I just think so many businesses got screwed in COVID because they were run badly. I'm, I'm so, sorry to say that, but you know, we didn't have a long enough run of our P&Ls to cover our own businesses for six, seven, eight, nine months. So everyone shit themselves, jumped onto furlough, got rid of their teams, so on and so forth. And that's because of the financial underpinning. Now there's loads of broad strokes in there and I'm sure there's loads of people sat there thinking that's not what happened. But for me, I just didn't want to like stress that new business in that way so therefore if you take away the fact that i'm going to run it for 10 years so that i can make as much money as i can to go off to a sailboat in the med and you take that away and you're not doing it for that reason then why are you doing it and for me i guess i've always wanted to be part of the team and to lead the team and to have that sort of shared goal i i, I guess fundamentally this is going to sound like a line fundamentally i believe that people are capable of anything however not everyone knows or believes that so therefore i want to show anyone who walks through this door that they can own this business and they will own it if as long as they are here in 10 years time and they've been part of that journey and so on and so forth so i never had that opportunity 15 years yeah, ago you want to create that for other people I want to create it for someone now yeah and then how i don't know if you like this is still would be i don't know like how would that actually work or is that not decided yet or is it yeah i think it... i think we'll start First of all, I'd be lying if I said it's completely down in black and white exactly what it's going to look like. But you you've, know, you've committed. Oh, it's there. It's out there, yeah. It, like, that's, it's that's out what there, I mean. Yeah, yeah it's there. So, but Either that will happen or this business won't exist. So you're still working out how that could work? Well, I've got a, a plan. What I'd like to do is I'd like to be, by the end of our second year, so sort of really by the end of 2022, I'd like to be 5% employee-owned already at that point. I'd like to have started the journey, to have started maybe, maybe start with an employee trust for 5% of the business and, and, and get on the journey, you know, as quick as humanly possible. Yeah, and okay. then that will well that that is that is the plan the plan is to have five percent employee owned by the end of the second year to to sort of really prove that we're serious about it and then also to hold me to account to say look if you can't get to that point in the first two years then like how how on earth are you going to get there in the following in the following eight yeah okay so obviously you've started this business with other people right yeah yeah i'm always interested in hearing this but like more and more people i speak to that do have co-founders like how have you made sure that you're all on the same page and and that is that's important to you but it's important to them like how have you made sure that like that you're remaining aligned because there's what is there three more three of you there's two of us there's two of us really that fundamentally drive the business in terms of okay. the way it is day in day out and i guess you know adrienne who runs the business alongside me in reality she's younger than me she's better than me she's more determined than i am so <laughs> yeah. my plan is that ultimately if i have my way she'll lead the business moving forward you know she'll take it on it'll be it'll be employee owned with her at the helm you know that was that was always the sort of the, you know the plan going into the business was that why we came in collectively as sort of a as a three there was really a two sort of pronged attack to go out and that that plan was that i would take her on a journey to help her develop and become a leader of a business and, and learn how to run a business and, 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 and so on and so forth. And fundamentally, she would then take that business off me and, 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 and you know, take it forward with, with the wider team. Because I just think that she is 
she's phenomenal and therefore we've got a very, we've got a shared belief system on so many things don't get me wrong some of our discussions can get heated because her temper is as bad <laughs> as mine in fact if she's listening i'd say her temper is well worse than mine however <laughs> however underneath that passion underneath that angst i also think the angst is good is is a shared belief around people and growth and doing yeah, what it, you're about yeah doing it doing it i guess like the, the business if you want to work with right now you could be working with anyone can't you, you know if you can't pick yeah. up jobs now you, you're never going to pick up jobs we don't want that we're, we're trying so hard to stay true to the, the client and candidate base that we want yeah so look before we finish then what would you say like i know we were saying before like you've you guys have really worked hard getting towards the end of the year it's been obviously it's been great but at the same time like it's been really difficult what have you learned most this year so far on this journey about yourself or well i think what i've learned is it, it is it's easier to start than it is to do at the start i finished with digital gurus on the last day of jan and we opened on the first of march and i hadn't we hadn't done tons of stuff to be honest in the background because of covid and all that went with it beforehand so it was just sort of go 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 but in hindsight it was easier to, now that we're going and there is six of us because again we didn't start as a one or as a two and there's nothing against anyone who's going down that route you know i'm at a different point in my life and my career where i was like if i'm going to go i need to go in bigger from the start to give ourselves the chance so i guess what i've learned was it was there was nothing to lose at the beginning it was all like let's just do it let's just like like the, the energy was driving us that energy only i i think that my energy can keep me going forever and the reality is it can't and 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 it's we've had a, we've had a brilliant year we are two deals away uh, from hitting our our goal and you know when this might go out I, I don't know but the reality is it's coming towards the end of october and we're two deals away from hitting some of the goals that we set that we didn't want to hit by the end of december so that's been brilliant however we're probably more frazzled than I think I would like us to be. You've still got that buzz every day. You've still got that buzz that this is ours. We're doing it in the right way. We're doing it differently. However, I think the last six weeks, it's become more about the doing than it has the, the greater good. And I think it's quite hard to accept that when you've had that as such a strong driver at the beginning. So for me, it was all about doing it differently and the values. And, and in the last six weeks, we've probably just been doing the deals and doing the what driving yeah, sometimes you've got to check yourself back on that avenue because that, that's what really gets you yeah. going isn't it is the what yeah. like reminding yourselves why you're doing it and as you said when you're do, doing it you can sometimes forget that because you've got the challenges directly in front of you that you've got front of mind you've got the deals that should be happening right in front of mind and yeah i, I get that that makes sense and, and don't get me wrong anyone who's doing it right now is this is a this is the this is brilliant this is like the best i've seen it in 15 years it's absolutely phenomenal but it's hard it's hard you know it's yeah. really really hard yeah it's got different challenges isn't it but you, yeah yeah and it's and it's relentless it never ever turns off and i think you've got to i am awful at it i listen to people on your on this all the time talking about you know their ability to turn off and i'm like god yeah you it's know, hard isn't it yeah really it hard is. so i think what i've learned is that now we need to take a break we need to have a bit of a reset we need to have a reset and there's also nothing wrong with biting down on the gum shield and doing what you need to get done at the times you need to get it done to move to the next stage. I just think I just think that you can't bite down on that gum shield for too long. Otherwise it you know the stress not sustainable. takes over. Yeah, yeah. It's not just it's uh, not and, and like it, you know the adrenaline and the drive and whatever it can only drive you so much because you've obviously everyone's got their own stresses outside of work and all that goes with yeah, it. Yeah, so for sure. you know it, it sort of gets on top of you. Look Simon that's uh that's the pod mate. 
Thank you. Uh, oh, thanks so really? much for being. Thanks so much for being super honest. Uh, which I, I knew I knew you would be, but I, I know that help a lot of people, particularly around the MBO, getting your promotions. I think kudos to you, mate. On like clearly, you can tell that you've really backed yourself in your career. Um, and I think I'm I'm really excited to see where you guys in the next couple of years will absolutely get get you back on the pod in the next few years, mate, and and see where Digital Fifty One's at. But honestly, thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed it. And excited to share this with everyone, mate. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.